When I say the word network, I don't know what comes to your mind, but some of you I know are networkers by nature, and so right now you're resisting the urge to kind of whip out a business card and, you know, want to exchange, you know, texts and, and, and get information going. We have a lot of networkers in this valley, right? A lot of people that are just, you know, into, into doing that at, at, at all times. I want you to think about your networks right now. It could be your family, it could be your neighborhood, it could be some kind of a club that you belong to or, or whatever else. But I want you to think about that network, and I want you to think about what makes that network strong. How strong is that network? And, and what is it about that network that makes it either strong or weak? Um, how about, there's one more question. How much do you contribute to making that network strong or weak? Jesus comes on the scene uh, in the Gospels, and he kind of offers a different picture of network, right? He approaches the original networkers, which are fishermen, and he comes up to them and he says this. He says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Of men. I'm going to fundamentally change your profession. Jesus came on the scene making demands of people. And he clearly was going somewhere. He was, he was a man on a mission, you could say, right? And he made demands of people. Like, come follow me. He made invitations. And people left their nets behind and followed him. You look at his network today, it's pretty impressive. There's a giant network of Christians around the world right now. And you think about the strength of the network. There's, there's Christians today who, under risk of losing their job, losing their family, losing their home, losing their financial income, losing their life, are gathering just like we are to worship the name of Jesus Christ today. That's a pretty strong network. We call networks of Christians churches. Just to be really clear, a church is not a building. A church is not the physical walls that represent the place that we gather. Today, right now, there are people worshiping in other parts of the country, right, and, and, and world. Um, today, there are, there are Christians gathered under a tree somewhere in Africa, and they're a church. They're going to come and gather as Christians and praise the name of Jesus Christ. They don't have a building. Uh, when we talk about church, the, 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 the Bible talks about, about church in a couple of different ways. One way the Bible talks about it is the church universal. Sometimes you hear me say from the front, a capital C church. When I say the capital C church, what I'm talking about is all Christians for all of time in all parts of the world who are by faith adopted into God's family. They're Christians. They're part of the church. So we are actually brothers and sisters as Christians today with brothers and sisters who lived through Christian persecution by the Romans. We're a part of Christians who we will never meet because they lived in a different part of the planet in a different era of time, but they are part of God's universal, invisible church. The second way the Bible talks about a church is a local gathering of believers, his visible gathered people called the body of Christ. And that's what we're doing right here this morning. We are a local church. And we're really mindful here at Neighborhood Bible Church that we are not the church. We are a part of brothers and sisters around this valley even. You guys hear me mention often, but we have pastors from several different churches that come and gather here every single Wednesday to pray. And we come and gather because we're not in competition with each other. We recognize very clearly that we're part of the South Bay Church. And we're pulling in the same directions as those things. And so when other churches bleed and hurt, that's our hurt. When another church is having a success and Jesus is being praised, that's our success. We're in with that. I want to show you a definition of the local church. 
that I lifted straight from a book called Vintage Church, but they lifted it straight from the Bible in Acts 2. So I didn't feel too bad about it. So I'm just giving credit where, where credit is due. Here's what it says. A local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture. They organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, and are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to God, to the world, for God's glory and their joy. Now, aren't you glad we don't make you memorize that before you become a member of Neighborhood Bible Church? I don't think I'd be a member. I don't know if I could pull that one off. There's a ton packed in there, but if you know your Bible, don't you hear the, the scriptures in there? I mean, that takes a lot of what the Bible talks about with the local church. It says, this is what a local church is. The reason I wanted to show you this definition that we'll teach in our membership classes is because I want to show you how much togetherness is involved in being in a local church. Look at all these words. Community, organize, gather regularly, baptism and communion, and unified. How precious that we just got to witness Kat's baptism and celebrate as her family, with her in that. Getting together isn't always so hard, but staying together is really hard. Amen? Yeah, that's tough. Why is that? Think about parents. Parents split and churches split. I come from a divorced home, and I've come from divorced churches. Seen them both. Families wander, right? They're close they're focused on what they are as a family, and they just begin to drift over time, right? And all of a sudden, they're not doing what they used to do as a family. In the same way, church families can wander as well. Businesses, bands, teams, couples, they all break up. They all split up, right? Now, the good church answer for that is it's due to sin, and I would agree with that. I think that's absolutely true. But for a church, I think sometimes the reason churches wander, churches end up splitting is because they simply forget who they are. This puzzle box here will kind, of, will kind of help us with this. I called this message this morning, Close is Not Connected. Now, if you take a puzzle and you kind of look at it, this represents church to many people. And each one of these could be an individual or it could be a family unit. And if you say, do you go to church? They say, absolutely, I go to church. Are you close with people? I'm super close to them. I rub shoulders with them every week. Are you committed? I'm totally committed. I've been coming to this box for 20 years. I'm committed to this box. We do potlucks. We sing songs together. We learn together. We, we grow and we do life together. But if you begin to talk to that same person about their fit in their church, for some people, they'd give you a blank stare. I don't know what you're talking about with that. If you were to begin to ask them and say, what is the collective picture that your puzzle, that your church forms? Is it something beautiful or is it something kind of chaotic and individualistic? I think for many churches, this is the picture it forms. If you begin to, to drill down a little bit, you would realize that the centerpieces, truth be told, are a little bit annoyed at those weird edge pieces, right? Because they're different. Let's just say it. And so there's a little bit of gossip that goes on with that. And the other thing is that if someone in their network, in their church, goes missing, is it noticed that, that a piece is missing? No. Pieces can go missing 
from the church all the time and not be known. Close in proximity is not the same as connected, is it, friends? Close in proximity never gets to being connected personally. What happens when a fourth grader comes along who has a passion for puzzles and begins to take these pieces out of the box and spread them around? I'll tell you what happens. Initially, the pieces get pretty ticked off. They don't like that. We were really comfy in our little box, right? All of a sudden, they're getting moved around and put over here and all of that. But what happens when they start to connect with one another and they start to form things? All of a sudden, the differences that used to annoy them begin to be seen as something complementary, and, and a picture begins to emerge. Do you see how a puzzle can represent two different kinds of churches? I pray to God that we would never be this, that this would never represent our church. God's doing something that's bigger and more beautiful than all of us sitting in a box together every single week, singing, being polite, wearing nice clothes, and smiling at one another. Close is not connected. What brings us together as a church is the key uh, that grows us as a church and sustains us as a church. Remember, it's not hard to get going as a church. Getting together is the easy part. Staying together is the difficult part. So what brings us together? Here's fundamentally what brings Christians together to form a church. You ready? It's the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's it. God forgives me as an individual. I'm so stunned by that. I'm so overjoyed by that. And I get together with another person, and they are equally incredulous that God would show mercy on them when they deserve punishment for their betrayal of the way God's designed life and designed things to live. And we're overjoyed by that. That begins to flow into another idea that the Bible teaches, and that is this. Every single Christian is adopted into a family. God doesn't leave us alone. Um, Romans talks about the fact that God's ways are seen in creation. You study the way that a baby's born. Is a baby self-sustaining at birth? Absolutely not. Is it tragic if a baby is born with no family around to support? Yes, it is. So it is with God. God says we're born again, and we're born again into a family. What did I do to get adopted into God's family? Nothing. God did it all. I received. And so here we are sitting around God's great big dinner table together saying, can you believe the goodness of our Father? Can you believe that that I get to sit here with you? And so we're adopted into the family. If you were singing songs earlier and you find Jesus Christ beautiful, if you find the cross beautiful, let me tell you, that's been gifted to you by God himself. In the flesh, we find that repulsive. It's a disgusting display of death. In the flesh, we would find it just like the early Christians found people, foolishness. It's foolishness to people of the flesh. Jesus Christ isn't beautiful. I don't know if you frequent art museums much. I don't, but I like art and I like beautiful things. Um, Christians are a little bit like people standing around an art piece going, isn't it stunning? And tears are rolling down our eyes as we can't even take our eyes off it. And we're talking to each other. We're enjoying it together. And someone walks along and goes, what are you? Like, I don't see it. I don't, I don't get it. That looks like a big blob to me. What are you talking about? Are you being serious? Am I on a TV show? I don't, I don't see that as beautiful. Catch this. If you see Jesus Christ as beautiful, you've been gifted that by God. The flesh doesn't find Jesus beautiful. Jesus is a reproach to fleshly man and fleshly woman. So these are the things that bring us together. 
Jesus' fundamental call to people when he came up to fishermen was this. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You want to know if you're a Christian? Let me ask you two questions. Do you follow him and do you fish? If you follow and fish, then you take Jesus at his word. You're a Christian. If you follow and fish, then you join with other followers and people who fish, right? And there's a collective mission that you are on together. We're joined, friends. We're connected. We belong to one another. The title this morning is this. It's that close is not connected. And the idea carries with it that community requires commitment. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to, you don't have to know anything about the Bible to understand this in your life. That community requires commitment. And catch this. Where there is no commitment, community falls apart and it crumbles. Hi, Kat. Um, so, so community requires commitment. Um, next week, I want you to take out your bulletin for a moment. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity. Uh, if you look at the very back of your bulletin, we're going to have an opportunity. Um, we, we, we give opportunity for people to sign up for different community groups around here. And on, on the back here is just a list of all of them. We've listed them uh, primarily by just a, a big descriptor. So if it's the Branham community group, it's around the Branham area. Uh, Spanish community group, guess what the pre- pre- prerequisite is? You gotta speak Spanish, right? So I mean, there's just, you can kind of figure it out, right? It's not super difficult. We kind of keep things simple around here. But these are all different community groups that meet throughout the week. And what I'm wanting to do this morning, this is a one week message on one topic. It's to show that we're biblically motivated to be doing community groups. There's not a manual somewhere that says if you're a church, you're supposed to do stuff on Sunday, you should probably do something in midweek. That's not how we've done this. We've done this because we say, man, we see a lot of togetherness in in the Bible, and we're biblically motivated to figure out how to do that. Now, there's a word in the Bible called koinonia. If you've heard of the word koinonia, can you raise it? It's not, a, it's not in our English translations. It's in the original language, okay? Koinonia is a, is a word um, that in the 90s, there was lots of churches doing koinonia coffee houses. And they didn't know it was, people didn't even know it was a biblical word. They just thought that was a cool thing. So they did koinonia coffee house and this and that. Usually in the Bible, when you see the word Koinonia, it's been translated into our English translations as fellowship. Fellowship and maybe community sometimes. So what happens with the word koinonia is I think it's been kind of devalued from all the weight that it carries and kind of shrunk down into a Dixie cup of meaning. Fellowship to Christians, both inside and outside the church, I think people think of it as small talk, politeness, potlucks, getting together, being friends, having some things in common. Now, the word koinonia carries with it some of those ideas, but it's so much more than that. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just kind of show you some pictures of, of Christian fellowship according to the Bible, not according to Western, modern American church, but according to what the, the Bible has to say about it. Um, we have this thing called the play button. It's kind of a little metaphor for how we do church around here. And to think about what the word koinonia means, most people would put it all squarely in the community part of this. Okay, the, the play button quite simply is that we begin a relationship with God, and that's worship, right? And God hasn't left us alone. He puts us into a family, and so that's community. You go through the Bible sometime. Just read all the one another's. If you were to spend your lifetime trying to obey the one another's, God help me, would, would, would be your prayer, which is a great place to be you know, praying, right? Um, love one another. Put other people's needs um, ahead of your own. Don't defile one another. Be patient with one another. Do you, do you hear this? Is that hard? This is why it's hard to stay together. That's difficult, right? 
So that's the community aspect. But God doesn't just ping-pong us back and forth between good vibes and good relationship with him and worshiping him and hanging out and having potlucks. Look at where this thing goes. It has a point. So the point to this triangle is the word share. Share around here just means evangelism. That's being fishers of men, sharing the good news of Jesus and sharing your stuff, your time, your talent, your money, all that God designed you to be, right, and doing your part to the glory of God. That's what share has to do with it. Let me just say this about koinonia. I don't want to get too wrapped up in the language. But I think where most people would leave it in community, I think the scriptures place the word koinonia somewhere between community and share. Because it's not just about our commonness. It actually has to do with our participation, our contribution, our partnership. That, that this, this commonness has a point. It's going somewhere. There's a mission involved with it. Let me show you what I mean. Christian fellowship. First of all, it is fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So community groups are not just people meeting together with one another. Fundamentally, they are people meeting with God and one another. Let me, let me make this really clear. If you lose that, if you lose the fact that as community groups, we're here to meet with God together, and instead invert that, we're here to meet together with a little bit of God trickled in, I'll tell you what that will devolve into. That will devolve into any other network that doesn't require anything supernatural attached to it at all. That's the first thing. Secondly, Christian fellowship is grounded in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 John 1, 3. This is the witness writing, John writing. He says this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Catch the purpose clause of this, ready? So that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. So we preach the gospel. We proclaim the good news of Jesus. Hey, God's not mad at you. You've sinned. You actually deserve death. God's paved a way for you to be joined in relationship. He wants you to come home. He's a good father. He's inviting you home. We proclaim this to you so that you can have a potluck with us, fellowship? No, that's not what Christian fellowship is. So that you can share in dining at the Father's table with us. So that you get in on staring at the beauty of Jesus Christ together with us. So that you get in on finding your role and getting on mission with us to follow and fish with Jesus. You see how fellowship's a little bit more than potlucks? All right, there's more. Number three, it's been dramatized in communion. 1 Corinthians 10.9 says this, the, the, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation, koinonia, in the blood of Christ? Do you hear the participation word, not just the commonness part of it? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Rich was so right. Baptism is just a little drama that God builds into. He says, hey, do this because it's going to show off what's happened. I always tell people, when I'm, hey, if I'm going to baptize you, I'm not leaving you under. You know why? Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> left in our sin, we'd be, we'd be left under. 
Man, that's the good news. Jesus rose from the dead and gives us the ability to walk in newness of life. You know what communion is? Communion is a portrait. It's a little drama that we do every single day. Together, collectively, as we do communion, we are individually partaking of bread. How do you extract the bread that you eat from your body once you eat it? It becomes a part of you. You cannot take those same molecules and reform that bed and be separate. We participate with the body of Christ in suffering. We participate in the blood of Jesus Christ as we celebrate communion. One more. Christian fellowship is never easy. Are potlucks easy? Pretty much. You can make anything and just don't attach your name to it, right? And you just put it out there. It's like leftover casserole, but we'll call it a fancy name and not put our name next to it. That's pretty easy, right? Potlucks are easy. Koinonia is not easy. Parents, how hard is it to teach your kids to share? It's hard, right? Let's be really, really real. Parents, how hard is it to share? It's hard. You don't believe me? Ask your spouse. Ask your friends. Ask your roommate. It's hard. It's hard to share. That's the point of it, actually. Consider one another as more important than myself. Do we see that highlighted in the Silicon Valley? Is that a hallmark of what we see in practice and in preaching? Not at all. That's difficult stuff. Here's Paul writing from prison, Philippians chapter 3. That I may know him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share, koinonia, participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So a part of what Christians do together, I don't know if you've ever been spat at because you're a Christian, but if you ever get spat at because you're a Christian, you're a good company. Jesus got spat at, Right? What if your silent prayer was, Lord, I'm not looking to be spat at, but I understand that following you and fishing for you, I'm going to get spat at. You've gone ahead of me. I get a tiny bit of what you've gone through now. Thank you. Thank you for letting me, thank you for counting me worthy to participate in the suffering that you walked through. Do you see how Christian can mean a lot of different things? Christian fellowship can mean a lot of different things. Church is a loaded term that can mean a lot of different things. Acts chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to, you can open one up um, under the seat in front of you. If you're on the front row, you just have to listen carefully and take my word for it or check me later. But here's Acts chapter 2. And let me show you what Acts chapter 2 is. Acts chapter 2 is one passage that's the, it's the picture on the front of the box of the puzzle. When you're doing a puzzle, don't you look at this often, right? You're like, there's a lot of blue on there. Is this the blanket blue or sky blue or ocean blue, right? What do you do? You look at the picture again. Oh, there we go. There's a truck. Where's the truck go? Oh, left side of the picture. So you start organizing the pieces. As you do church, as you celebrate together as Christians, you come together, and, and Jesus has shown us through the scriptures a picture on the box of what church, church can and was designed to look like. So here's just one of those passages. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad 
and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is one of those beautiful pictures of, um, of that, that the Bible paints for us um, that, that, that excites me. As I, as I have been in church as a Christian for a long time, and as I pastor a church and have been on staff in a church for a very long time, I remember a couple of things. I remember, one, uh, that no matter how bad or good things are, we're never going to get this picture perfect, are we? Are we ever, is there a perfect church? Say no. No. There have been times where I say, Lord, all I see is a front paw of a dog. That's all we got as a church right now. Help us. I read in the scriptures. You've placed in my heart a, vi- a bigger, beautiful picture of dogs at the beach. Go with me on that. A big, beautiful picture of all that the church can be. The same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is present in every single believer. God, there has to be more. Do more. So I keep in mind, we're never going to be a picture-perfect church, but I keep in mind a second thing. Jesus Christ purchased the church. Jesus Christ is working to build his church. It's his to build. He's never going to stop building the church. So when I get in and join in with what God's doing and building the church, I'm joining in with something that Jesus is not going to let fail. And that excites me. It excites me to read a passage like this, and it also invigorates me toward something more. Now think about what, uh, what, you were, what, what you are devoted to right now. And those of you who are married, think about what you were devoted to and then how marriage changed that devotion. Uh, let me illustrate this for a second. Jameson, come on, come on down for a second. Um, I want you to come right here in the middle and, and meet me here. Where's Ruth at? Is Ruth in the room? Ruth, come on over here. I want you to come stand right here. Now, if you, if you knew these people before they met here at Neighborhood Bible Church, you would know a couple of things. Jameson was devoted to something. He was devoted to taking Jeeps and kind of like guys on steroids who are bodybuilders and they look freakishly big and do really things. That's what he does with Jeeps. That's what he was devoted to, okay? He was devoted to making Jeeps look and do things that Jeeps normally shouldn't do. That's Jameson in, in one small compartment. There was other things. Um, I've known Ruth for a really, really long time as well. Um, Ruth is devoted to her work. She works with children. She's great with children. She devotes her time to that. She has been leading in worship for nine years. Since the day the church opened, Ruth has been devoted to worship ministry around here. And she's been devoted to growing her hair long, which is really beautiful. You're very good at that. Good job, Ruth. Now, Jameson and Ruth are standing awkwardly here in the center of the room right now (laughs) because something spectacular happened at the church camp out last weekend. Something unique in our family history as a church seems to always happen at these family campouts. So you have to go to the campout next Labor Day and, and be a part of this. I want you to step right up here, Jameson. And Ruth, I want you to step right up here. Let me just say it this way. The devotions of these two is about to change. Raise your hand. They got engaged last weekend. So give them up. Thanks, you guys. Now, all the married people, all the married people in the room, should their devotion change once they get married? Say yes. Yes. Now, is it going to be easy at first? Say yes. Of course it is, right? Because you're in love. It's all new and exciting. Will it always be easy? No. Will it always be dreamy and romantic? No. 
Should they continue to walk in this new devotion? Yes, absolutely. As a Christian, your life fundamentally changes. The things that you devote yourself to changes dramatically. In many ways, you see it as good and beautiful and easy. Man, I used to love that. I can't believe how much time I put in that. That's nothing to me anymore. I I don't miss that one bit. But there's other times partway into your walk with Jesus Christ, there's other times partway into your marriage where you start thinking about your old life and go, I had it pretty good. You're like the Israelites wandering around. You know, slavery in Egypt wasn't too bad, right? We got three square meals a day and it wasn't so hot. Right? That, that's, that's the call Jesus calls us to. He's calling us, friends, listen to me. He's calling us to devote our lives to each other. A Lone Ranger Christian does not exist in the Bible. That is, that is an oxymoron. You cannot have someone who's going it alone, just me and Jesus. God grows us up by the very fact that we commit ourselves to one another. Let me talk very briefly about... Um, about community groups at Neighborhood Bible Church. Because what I get is that almost every church has small groups, community groups, accountability groups, life groups, cycle groups, whatever. You know, I'd call them all kinds of different things. Um, let me tell you what we're talking about when we talk about community groups. And let me just say this. We recognize as leaders of community groups that we're striving for some things. We say, look, the Bible's painted a picture of what it should look like. We're going to fail at this. We're not going to do this great all the time. But you know what we're doing? We're being really open about it and saying, look, we're all reading from the same hymn book here. We all get to read from this. So if our community group isn't functioning in the way that, that it should be, any participant in any group can raise their hand and say, hey, can we, can we grow in this whole togetherness stuff? We seem to be, we seem to be box, you know, pieces in a, in a puzzle box right now and not, and not connected. Here are some things we're talking about as community groups at, at Neighborhood Bible Church. Um, as a church, we're called to make disciples. That's, that's a really fundamental, simple thing that a biblical church should be doing. And what we're doing right now is like one pedal on a bicycle, okay? Gathering for worship at a public worship service, week after week, faithfully gathering, singing, praying together, having things in common, hearing from God's word, okay? You ever pedal the bicycle with one pedal? It's hard. I broke a mountain bike pedal out in the Saratoga woods one time. This is how I rode home. You can't even switch legs. My arm's getting tired already, right? Now, what happens when you do this, right? All of a sudden, <laughs> just two pedals makes it beautiful, right? Let me tell you kind of the two pedal strokes at NBC. Public worship, this program that we, that we have called just gathering and having a worship service is pedal one. Community groups functions as the other pedal. That means this. If you attend this church for the next five years and all you get is one thing, you are getting half of what it means to be a church, according to Neighborhood Bible Church, as we extract that from the scriptures. You will definitely benefit from some things. You will get some places, but you'll be missing out on a whole bunch of things that the Bible calls us to be and do as a church that we can't do collectively like this. How many of you know who came to first service last hour? None of you do because you weren't here, right? We're too big to fit in one room, so we have two services going on. Fundamentally, there are things we can't do together all as a big, giant group. So we do things like community groups to to break that down into smaller groups. One of the things that we are really committed to, we're not hard and fast on this. We don't mandate this of our groups, but we strongly encourage it and say, we want to have some good reasons why you wouldn't do this. 
most of our groups will follow the sermon series. So there'll be sermon-based small groups. Every single week you get a handout, and whether you go to group, attend a group, don't. You've got questions right there that you can dive further into the scriptures yourself. Um, one of the things I challenge you in the questions this week is, hey, go do a word study for yourself on koinonia and see what it means. How are we supposed to live this life together? Don't let the pastor do all the work and do it. You go, dis- you go discover that for yourself. God, what do you want us to do? What does it mean to be together? There's a couple of benefits to sermon-based small group. Here's one of them. We kind of view it as a le- lecture lab format. Anyone go to college and you went to the lecture part of the thing, but then when you got to do the lab and do the hands-on, there's something about learning and really interacting with it yourself that you go, yeah, I get it now. Midweek is that lab part of it. It's that part where we can kind of ask questions back. If all of you ask questions back and we had a big dialogue, this would be a giant mess on Sundays. So this is the lecture part. There's a lab part midweek. If all you ever get is the lecture, you're getting half of what we're doing here. If you are convinced as a community group leader that you will be leading a community group in three days on this subject matter, how much more attentive are you and, and attentive are you to listening on Sunday mornings? Like way more attentive, right? For one simple reason, you think you're going to use this again someday. In fact, not just someday, in three days, you'll be using this again to be leading your group of people through the scriptures, right? How about as a participant in a community group? If you don't think you'll ever use this again, you will sit here like you're doing. You're all very polite, by the way, and you'll smile at me and you'll nod and you'll kind of, "Mm, that's a good point, you know, but you won't really listen to it much. Most pastors know this. No matter how demonstrative I am or how much facial expression I use, you're going to forget most of what I say. (laughs) Now, that should be really depressing to me, okay? Week after week, I work really hard at this. But I know you will, just, just stats show this over and over, that you will forget most of what you, what you hear in here. Now, here's the question, Christian. Do you need to go hear more on another topic to really obey Jesus? Is that the problem? You haven't heard enough from the Bible? You haven't heard enough sermons? We really believe that that, that community group, that midweek time where you flesh it out in real life. Okay, the, the, the principle says put other people first. I don't get how that works. Is that realistic? Does that really work? I've got this thing going on at work. Help me, people, apply that to my boss because I can't figure this one out. All of a sudden, what's going on in here gets maximized by hitting it again in another, in another segment. Um, biblically, what we see in Acts 2 is people themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's so much things you can devote yourselves to right now. There are speakers and bands far better than anything we could ever do here on a Sunday morning that you could devote yourselves to. The biblical picture in the scripture is don't devote yourself nebulously to the universal church, kind of like I'm a Christian with all Christians of all time. Go get plugged into a local flesh and blood body of people, a family. That's how God wants it done. Write down this verse, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, says something really critical to this. I used to do college ministry a lot, and a lot of college students would go away, and they'd say, I, you know, I'd say hey, how's, how's the church hunting going? And it's hard to go fit into a new church, and it's kind of scary if you're shy, and on and on. they say, Dave, do I really need to go to a church? I mean, I can listen on my phone to world-class teaching podcasts all over the country and the world. I could have them, you know, those who really speak to me and minister to me, I could just listen to that. Do I really need to go be a part of a church? 
Here's what I say to them. I say, you know what? When you're hearing from your favorite teacher on a podcast, you're hearing their words, but you're not seeing their life. Now, that's not bad. I listen to world-class teachers that help disciple me through my Christian walk. But I learned from my dad watching him and living with him and eating dinner with him and celebrating holidays with him and getting in trouble from him and watching him have a bad day at work, what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because I got to see his life lived out. The biblical model is this. Devote yourselves to flesh and blood people so you can see how it's fleshed out and lived out. Wouldn't it be easy to kind of put on a really good radio program once a week and put all my best stuff in there? And then my, my marriage could be a train wreck. My parenting, the way I handle my money, the way I live my life could be just a complete train wreck. Has that ever happened before? Yes, all the time. It's not even scandalous anymore when someone who preaches the things of Jesus is found out as a fake. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, join with others. Think community groups for a second. Join with others in following my example, Paul says, And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Hey, here's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. We will not put people in front of you who are perfect. Who of us could stand on this stage and preach anything to anyone if that was a requirement? That's not the requirement. But there is a pattern to living as a Christian that you ought to look at and observe and ask questions of. And that's part of what community groups does. Your community group leader will not be perfect. But they are being held accountable by church leaders to walk according to the manner that Jesus laid out for us. They are called to be an example, to say, follow me as I follow Christ. doesn't mean I'm going to get it perfect, but I am going to be a living flesh and blood example for you to follow. Sometimes a song comes along that nails what I'm trying to say perfectly. And I gave this song to the band I think on Wednesday this week. So we just have a talented group of people. I said, hey, can you work this one out? Can you figure this one out? I came across this song that we have to do on Sunday. We know this in our heads that no man is an island. That's the title of this song. No man is an island. We know that. But we don't live it. I think some of us are in the bad habit of living isolated lives. Sure, we're near people. Uh, We live in a very busy place. We go to company functions We vacation with our neighbors, whatever. We're around people, but truth be told, we are unconnected and isolated. I don't know who said it first, but I think it's true. It takes a habit to break a habit. If you're in the bad habit of being isolated, it's going to take a habit, that is commitment, to say, you know what? This scares me to death, but I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to get together with people I don't even know. And on Thursday nights, I'm going to go sit in that room. On Wednesday nights, I'm going to go sit in someone's living room. I'm just going to show up because I have Google Maps and I can do that. And I'm going to pray to Jesus that I can survive this thing. Listen to this song and uh, we'll wrap up here in a moment. Well, listen, I just want to give you a couple of steps for those of you who'd be, who'd, who'd be wanting to take them. First of all, today happens to be 
the day that we're doing our exploring membership class. That's something that we do probably about quarterly. And some people are have been here for a while and say, man, we want to take the next step in, in committing to this. One of the things that leaders do is we commit to this local body. We say we're not going anywhere. We're committed to this neighborhood and what God's going to do through this group of people. And we ask the people to do the same thing. Let's partner together in this. Let's join lives together in this. Um, so some of you might be ready to take that next step. Some of you might just want to do what the class says, which is explore membership. Hey, what is this church more about? Uh, so we kind of walk through that. That's, that's open to you. That's this afternoon, starting at 1230. Secondly, next Sunday, as I said, we're going to have our big community group on ramp. And there's kind of two people that we targeted for this fall and kind of in, in thinking through, you know, who, who kind of might, might be coming to this. The, the theme that we have is, is take it off. And to a new person, here's the message. Take off your coat and stay a while, right? This is what we do when we welcome someone into our home. Hey, take off your coat and stay a while. Some of you are, are brand new to this. You've never been in a small group. You've never been in a midweek Bible study. This sounds really freaky to you. But you go, you know what? It sure seems like that's what the Bible's calling us to do. Maybe we're missing something by not devoting time to breaking bread together, to being together, to opening the word together, to meeting with God together. And so... We invite you to, to come and take off your coat and stay a while. I had a conversation with someone right before this service. They had no idea what this service was about. And in so many words, they regurgitated back to me this message. Community requires commitment. And I told them, I said, hey, you watch for what's being preached. You just preached the sermon, brother. That was it right there. Community requires commitment. If you think about an on-ramp of a freeway, once you're on that on-ramp hitting the gas, you're committed, right? At least until the next exit, right? You, you can't just change your mind. A lot of people come for one or two weeks of a, of a, of a group, and they go, oh, this is a little weird, it's a little hard, people seem a little standoffish. Sometimes that's two shy people not knowing how to make that connection. So what we'd say is, for the sake of Jesus and trusting the growth process, God, would you help me to have the faith to come and just come for, for eight weeks? That sounds like a long time right now, but I'm going to commit until the next exit. We're not asking you to commit for two years. We're saying, get on the freeway, and if you hate it, get off the freeway. We'll talk about that. We'll figure that out. But some people, man, they get past week three. They go, I'm so glad I got past through week three. Something I get to do as the pastor is I sit in the back sometimes. I see hugs, tears connections that go on every week and I can remember the moment at community group where as strangers they first met. And I go, wow, now they're brothers that are connected to each other. Now they're brother and sister that, that know each other. Sometimes they end up getting married together. No promises, okay? No promises. If that's your motive for being at church today. The second person we're talking to is the veteran of community groups. Your normal thing is that you meet with Christians midweek. Sundays, you know, Sunday and midweek, that's a normal thing to you. So our message to you is this. It's not take off your coat and stay a while. You're already comfortable walking in. You chuck the coat wherever you want. The message to you is take off your mask and risk being known. My, my prayer, my sense is this. God, what if this season of community groups, those who are used to coming and all of that, what if they set aside politeness, God talk, faithful attendance, intellectual stimulation of getting into theological topics, and they just risk being known? Man, there's some amazing stories in this room right now that risked being known, and God grew them through the roof. Crazy stuff started to happen. That is a risky venture, friends. To open up and be known is a risky venture. But that's the message. is Take off your mask and risk being known. Take off your coat 
and stay a while. Let me do this. Let me have everyone stand up right now. And in kind of a spirit of us being joined together, I want you just to join hands, even across the aisles. There's going to be strangers, some people you know. Come and grab a hand. I'm going to join in right next to, to Kat here. So I'm going to get in to be with the guest of honor here uh, and do that. Jesus is the real guest of honor, but Kat got baptized. So I'm going to pray here. Um, ben, you join hands too as best you can. That would be great. That will be a great picture. And let's just pray. God, we thank you for unity. We thank you, God, for this picture that you're painting that's bigger than any one of us individually. I pray, Lord, that not just Neighborhood Bible Church, but that Jesus-loving churches in the South Bay would form a picture, God, that would be so compelling that people would have to stop and ask the question, what is going on? What's different about this group of people? And I want in. God, I pray that you would help us in this. We all know the difficulty in walking in unity together. But it's what you desire for us. It's what you long for us. God, we thank you for our sister Kat who got baptized today and was willing to publicly go before and say, I'm on Jesus' team. And we, we celebrate that and we, um, we're just excited about that. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.